Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I serve with our student ministries team. If you're new to Wheaton Bible and wanna learn more about who we are as a church and start connecting with others, then you're invited to join us for step one of the growth track. The monthly growth track is designed to help you grow in your relationship with God and connect to the church. At step one, you can get connected with others, dive into what life at Wheaton Bible Church is all about and ask any questions you have. It takes place next week during the 1030 service. You can register and get more details at wheatonbible.org slash next steps. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us and we hope you have a great week. Well, good morning to all of you and welcome as we join as a family of God and celebrate all he's done for us in Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray together to begin our worship. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the bread of life. Let us feast on you and find nourishment for our souls today. You are the light of the world. Let us follow you out of the darkness. You are the door. Let us enter the Father's presence in your name. You are the good shepherd. Let us rest in your provision. You are the resurrection and the life. Let us find true life and victory in you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Let us love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Let's pray together a confessional prayer. God, we thank you that you are our hope in life and in death, and that we need no other. Now we take a moment to reflect silently and personally on your sacrifice for us and confess our sins to you. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us renew us and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen.
Let's stand and continue. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. of our services we're celebrating baptism and while we don't have anybody getting baptized in this particular service we're rejoicing with our brothers and sisters and the hope that they have today that comes from new life in Christ amen amen, amen. And we're going to celebrate that redemption today as we sing this next hymn
Good morning, Wheaton Bible. It is good to be with you. My name is Josh Laxton. I'm one of the teaching pastors here and also have the privilege of engaging our young adults. Well, so I cannot believe it's almost August. Can you? And it's a little depressing, you know, since fall is uh, almost here. (laughs) Well, when you think of the Chicago, you know, fall and winter. Well, let me, let me talk to you a little bit about giving. I was actually reading uh, not too long ago Acts chapter 20, where Paul is engaging the Ephesians, uh, Ephesian elders. And he's kind of giving them some last words because he says he'll never see them again. And at the very end in Acts 20, as he's dialoguing with the elders there in Ephesus, he says these words, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And he's actually quoting our Savior, Jesus. I want you to think about that statement. It It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know that's a little counterculture to the society and culture in which we live, right? Uh, They kind of would think that it's more blessed to receive than to give, which is why following Jesus is counterintuitive and countercultural, right? And so I want you to think about your own life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I like that word blessed, and the reason why I like that word blessed is because we see that word at the very beginning in Genesis 1, that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and, and exercise dominion. So God, he blesses humanity, which is this idea that God is gifting himself to humanity. He is empowering humanity. He's giving them his presence, his power, his blessing to do what he has called them to do. And so now you go back to Acts chapter 20 and Paul, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So think about it, church, this way. 
that if we are going to live the life that Christ has called us to live, if we're going to do what Christ has called us to do in the world, to invite his presence, his power, for him to empower us, guess what we must do, church? We must what? Give. And give is not just financial. It's your time, your talents, your treasure. In other words, it's stewarding your life for the glory of God. You can even think of it this way, is that giving is the fuel for the Christian life. And so there's two ways for you to give financially here. We'll put them up on the screen. But not only do we want to invite you to give financially, but if you think about where we are in our world today, particularly with COVID and things really beginning to open back up, and you think about the fact that most people have not even come back yet to Wheaton Bible and other churches across the U.S., guess what we must be doing as a church? We must be positioning ourselves for people to come back for kids, for students to come back, for adults to come back. So guess what we need you to do as well? We need you to give of your time and your talents. We need you to serve. And so you can go on our website to find out the various ways that you can serve. Well, will you pray with me as we continue to worship the Lord? Father, thank you that you so loved us that you gave. And King Jesus... Thank you for your ultimate gift, and that is yourself. Father, I know that even in my life, I struggle with this idea that it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. But Spirit, will you move in our midst? Will you move in my life, in the life of my brothers and sisters here, uh, that we might live in a way that it is more blessed to give than to receive? And that's our prayer. Father, we pray for our church as we, as we enter uh, further into uh, 2021. I, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of your people to be on mission. And to be on mission is to give ourselves to the glory of God and what you are doing in uh, the world. And Father, will you continue to bring unity in our midst? Uh, Father, may we not gossip, may we not slander, may we not backbite, may we not complain or grumble, but may uh, we find joy in the Lord. And may you do far more abundantly in us and through us than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. Not because of who we are and what we bring to the table, but because of who Jesus is and the Spirit of God moving in and through us. That's what we pray. That's what we beg this morning. For it's in your name we pray, O great God and King, King Jesus. Amen. You can let's stand. We're going to prepare ourselves for the message with this last song here.
Well, Wheaton Bible, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we are in our series, Jesus and Jonah. Everybody say Jesus and Jonah. Jesus and Jonah. That's what we're looking at in this series. Now, this morning, I have the privilege of speaking on repentance. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good topic. It's a good topic. It's one where I hope and I pray that we actually will leave changed more so than when we came here this morning. Like I, want the, I want the word of God to saturate us. I want the word of God as we just sang, speak, speak. Will you pray with me? Father, we, 
we come to you. We, we need you. What a important message for the church and the world this morning. Repentance. Move spirit. Speak word. All for your glory. Amen. Well, let me also welcome those of you who are joining us online. It is so good for you to be here with us, connecting with us. Now, i got a question that I want to ask, and I, I think you need to be honest because we, we're with the church, and you need to be honest with the church. And here, here's my question. Are you a good driver? Are you a good driver? Now, you might be with your spouse, and, and if you shook your head, your spouse probably elbowed you like mine would and say, you're not a good driver. Now, I know the idea of being a good driver is very subjective, right? What does it mean to be a good driver? Like, because my wife, she really does think, you are a horrible driver. And I think the same thing with her. That's the reason why I volunteer to drive almost everywhere we go. I'm like, no, you're not behind the wheel, woman. I'll, I'll, I'll get behind the wheel. Now, now, I brought a picture with me. Well, what, is, what is this right here? What, what is this? It's a stop sign. Now, I, I live off of Willow Road, and so I walk my dog every day. And so I come to this stop sign, and I come to a lot of other stop signs. The stop sign is there for you to stop. Now, I'll be honest. Like, I cannot tell you how many cars me included. I'll go ahead and add myself in there. They will come to the stop sign. They will not fully stop. They'll come and ha- they'll come, they'll come, they'll slow down, slow down, and then they'll just, ha- you know, accelerate. And I'm like, you didn't stop. And you know how I know? You know how I know what stop is? Because years ago, a, a police officer pulled me over because uh, I thought I stopped. And he's like, no, you didn't stop. And here's how you know that you stop. You actually go backwards. Like, you know, you, you stop and you go, mm. that's how you know you stop. All right, here's another sign. Here's another sign that, that I brought with me today. Speed limit, 20 miles an hour. I don't know about you, but 20 miles an hour, I feel like I walk 20 miles an hour. Right? Like when, you, when you're downtown Wheaton, or here, here's another uh, part of, I would say, the, the roadway that when it goes from 65 to 55 to 45 to 35 within a, w- within a period of a mile, and you're thinking, Lord, have mercy, I'm crawling. <laughs> now, now, the reason why I brought these signs here with me this morning is because these are not suggestions. Like the authorities in Wheaton didn't think, well, let me see, what, what should we suggest to the drivers who go through Wheaton? Should we suggest that they stop? Should, should we suggest that they go 20 miles an hour? No, these signs are put there as rules and laws of the road that we should abide by. Every one of these signs actually communicates something to us. In essence, they communicate to us that we should change our mind. Because we're accelerating, we're accelerating, we're accelerating. We see this red sign that says stop. We need to change our mind and we need to stop. 
We're going 25, 30 miles an hour. And then we get to a sign that says speed limit, 20 miles an hour. We must change our mind and we must reduce the speed to go 20 miles an hour. And we know that missing or ignoring such words can result in financial fine. I found that out the hard way years ago. Losing your license, hurting people, halting traffic, damaging your vehicle. So if you don't change your mind, there can be consequences. You say, Josh, what does this have to do with Jonah? Well, I'm so glad you asked because here's the main point that we're going to look at this morning. So if you're ready for the main point, say, you're ready. All right, here's the main point. The Word of God is meant to change the mind of man. Obedience to God's Word is meant to change the mind of God. See, that's why those stop signs and those speed limit signs are so important because you're doing one thing, you're doing one thing, you see this sign, and you have to change your mind and do another. Because if you don't, and a police officer is sitting right there, guess what? You're in trouble. You see, and that's what we see in this passage this morning in the lives of two different people, Jonah and the Ninevites. And so what I want to do is I want to read one verse. So if you will stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word, I want to read verse 10. And then after I read verse 10, we're actually going to walk through verses 1 through 9. But here it is, verse 10. Here's what it says. When God saw... What they, the Ninevites, did and how they turned from their evil ways. Why? Because Jonah preached. He he declared the word. And what did they do? They changed their mind. They turned from their evil ways. They repented. Then guess what he did? He relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Word of God, speak to us this morning. May we change our minds, Spirit of God. Where we are disobedient, may we be obedient. Where people are running from you and they are far away, Spirit, may you convict them. May they change their mind and may they follow Jesus this morning. And it's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So I gave you the very end of the passage. Now let's go to the beginning and walk through to see how this main point unfolds. So let's start in verse 1. Here's what we read in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Everybody say it. A second time. Wow. I want you to sit in that moment for a second. A second time. You see, God didn't even have to come to Jonah the first time, right? God can do whatever he wants to. So we know that God came to Jonah a first time, and Jonah disobeyed. And then we've seen what has happened in Jonah's life because of his disobedience. Now he has vomited on dry ground, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you grateful for a God of second chances? Now, I, I love the game of golf. Any golfers out there? Uh, any golfers out there? Yeah. So I don't get to play a lot. I actually got to play yesterday. And so when you don't get to play a lot, guess what you are grateful for? You're grateful for this little thing called mulligans. Now, I'll be honest. I don't go up to the tee box thinking, 
well, you know, I got a mulligan in my pocket. I, I'm just going to shank this ball, and then I'm going to pull out my mulligan. That, that's not how I think. I think, man, I'm really going to try to hit this down the middle of the fairway. And there's, time where, there, there's times where that actually doesn't happen. And I think to myself, well, this would be a good time for a mulligan. I want you to understand that we actually serve a God of mulligans. And it's not just a second mulligan, it's a third mulligan, it's a fourth mulligan, it's a fifth mulligan, it's a sixth mulligan, it's a seventh mulligan. It's unlimited mulligans. But, but here's the thing, I don't want you to walk away thinking, well, I got a mulligan, I can live any way I want to. That, that's, not, that's not right. And that's not really true and accurate. Because the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter chapter 6 shall we sin shall we continue to sin that grace may increase and what does he say by no means we've died to sin how can we live in sin any longer and so we have Jonah he's sitting there and the word of God comes to him a second time so I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know where you've been running away from God. I don't know where you've been disobedient. But here's what I want you to know is that we serve a God of a second chance. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. He's not casted you away. He's not washed, he's not, you know, kind of washed his hands of you and said, you know what, you've you, you blown it. No, because if anybody blew it, it was Jonah, but God came to him a second time. Now, what does the word of God say to Jonah? Well, let's look in verse 2. Here's what verse 2 says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. So here's what the word says to Jonah. It basically gives him his marching orders, his job description as the prophet of God. Have you ever thought about what the job description of a prophet is? Now, before I give you what the job description or the roles and the responsibilities are of a prophet, I want to declare to us this morning that the church is God's prophet to the world. Because what we will see in terms of just the job description of Jonah actually has some bearings for us and some application for us this morning. And so here's basically the responsibilities that God is giving to Jonah. You can call it the prophetic witness. And there's four elements to Jonah's prophetic witness. Number one, it's a prophetic duty. Jonah has a prophetic duty. And what was the prophetic duty? To go and do to go and do. I want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim. Church, we have a prophetic duty. So if you are a child of the king, if you are a Christian, God did not save you to sit on your couch and eat bonbons and come to church and sing great songs and hear long-winded preachers. That, that's not why he really saved you. He saved you to go and do. It's a prophetic duty. Now, we also see prophetic presence. Now, can you imagine Jonah is a Jew? And now he is waltzing up into Nineveh Gentiles. That is a prophetic presence right off the bat. A Jew in the midst of Nineveh. Like that, that is a prophetic presence right off the bat. And then he starts speaking. And you're thinking, well, he is not from here. I get that all the time here in the Midwest. Where are you from? What do you mean, where am I from? I'm from the U.S. No, no, you're not from the Midwest, are you? Well, I guess not. I'm from the South. But so it was a prophetic presence for Jonah for him to walk into the city of Nineveh as a Jew beginning to speak. And then we know that he has spent 
three days, three nights in the belly of a fish. And so we, we don't know what he even looks like. I mean, this is probably about a month later, but maybe he's still pale. We don't know. Maybe he still has this kind of stench coming off. We don't know. But by him entering into the city of Nineveh, it is a prophetic presence. There's something different about Jonah. Oh, church, come on now. We know that we are different from the world. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so your co-workers, your friends, your family members, the, the longer that they hang around you, they should be able to sense there's something different about you. Why? Because of this prophetic presence. Because God has done something in you and he's doing something through you. They might not can put their finger on it, but they're thinking, man, something is different about you. A prophetic presence. And then prophetic engagement. Jonah is now called to engage the Ninevites. And that phrase that we see is this idea that the city of Nineveh was great to God. So go to the great city of Nineveh, which some scholars would say is basically him saying a city great to God. So when it comes to prophetic engagement, what, what God wants from Jonah is for him to start seeing Nineveh the way God sees Nineveh as this great city that God cares about. Do you care about others the way God cares about them? You know, do we care about West Chicago and Carroll Stream, Wheaton and Glen Ellen and Bartlett and Warrenville and Naperville and the entire Chicago land area the way God cares about them? Do we care about those that are different than us the way God does? Do we care about the immigrant the way God does? Do we care about those of a different race than that, that as God does? Do we care about those who are in a different socioeconomic status the way God does? Do we care about the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow? Do we care for the lost person the way God does? Prophetic engagement. Do we engage the way God wants us to engage, the way God would engage. And then we have this idea of prophetic message. Oh, church, church, we do live in a day and age where it's a lot of talk about social justice, a lot of talk about biblical justice. And I want you to understand the Bible does address that topic. And I believe in the idea that God's mission is comprehensive. It is holistic because he is creating a people for himself to glorify him in all realms of life, which would involve these social issues and these biblical justice issues. But may we never be a people that forgets that at the end of the day, we must declare the word of God. We must declare the message of God. We must declare the gospel of God. We can do good all day long. But if we do not declare, thus saith the Lord, we have missed the boat. Jonah is to have this prophetic message. The word of the Lord is giving to Jonah. Now the suspense builds. What will Jonah do? Will, will he run away again? Will he disobey? Well, look at verse 3. Here's what, here's what Jonah does. Jonah, everybody say it. 
obeyed. He obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, here's one of the things that I think you ought to take away from the book of Jonah. Jonah is like this teenager. Now, I have two teenagers and I will say this. I I don't know if I've ever really seen them or witnessed them just yet have this joyful obedience. It's more like this begrudging obedience. Okay, I'll go clean my room. Okay. I mean, it's like this begrudging obedience. That's Jonah. That's Jonah. We see that throughout the book. Jonah 1 through 4. Jonah is not a happy camper. He's not happy that God wants to save Nineveh, yet he obeys. And here's one of the things that I I said to our church family at Tri-Village, is that you can choose, as a believer, you can choose obedience the easy way or the hard way. Uh, The hard way is the begrudging obedience. It's that you're just, it's just drudgery for you, but you're obeying because the Lord asked you to. Or you can choose the easy way, and that's joyful obedience. And here's the thing that I would say, when it comes to begrudging, when it, when it comes to begrudging obedience, there's only transactional mission that happens. Joyful obedience, transformative mission happens. In other words, see, Jonah never changes, although he obeys God. And we're going to see that next week. But if he would, if he would embrace the call of God with this joyful obedience, he would be transformed in the process. But he's not transformed in the process. He's not becoming more like God in his obedience because it's begrudging obedience. But if it was joyful obedience, and he went to Nineveh with great joy, hoping that God would save the Ninevites, and that the Ninevites would come to the Lord, and that they they would be saved. If he had that joyful obedience, he would be transformed. See, I think what's happening in the U.S. today, particularly in the church, there's a lot of begrudging obedience happening, and we're not being transformed in the process. We're not becoming more like God. We're, we're, we're obeying, but very begrudgingly. And I think that's what's happening with Jonah. He obeys. And then in the latter part of verse 3, here's what we read. Now, now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Scholars differ in terms of the size of the city. Does it really take three days to go through it? There, there are some scholars that believe that basically this was his agenda. Is that you go in, you kind of get established, you preach your message, and, and, and you leave. That, that, that's kind of what a lot of scholars think. It was just really an agenda in terms of the size of the city. Go in there, establish yourself, do what you came to do, and then leave. But, but we don't know. But here's what we do know. He proclaimed a message. Now... Right here is eight words. In the Hebrew, it's five words. That's a short sermon. Probably some of you are like, if you could do that, that would be amazing, Josh. That would be awesome. But a lot of scholars think there's probably more to the message than these five Hebrew words. But what can we glean from this tweetable message, right? Like, this is definitely a tweetable message. You don't have to worry about this tweet being too long. But what, what can we learn about this tweetable message? Well, a couple of things that we can learn is, one, there's a window of time. How many days do they have? 40 more days. Um, this idea of 40 throughout Scripture is, 
carries the idea of trials and testing. We, we see 40 uh, days with Moses, 40 days with Elijah. We see 40 days with Jesus, this idea of trial and testing. And so now Nineveh has a 40-day trial period. Hey, listen, if you don't do anything in 40 days, something is going to happen. And can I just be very clear this morning? Whether you're here in person or you are engaging us online, you have a window of time to respond to the Lord. Now, I don't know how long that window is, but here's what I would say. In general, the window of time that you have is your lifespan. And we don't know how long you will live. We don't know how long we will live. But you have a window of time to respond to the Lord. And if that window of time passes and you do not respond to the Lord, it is not good. Everybody say that. It is not good. God has given us a window of time. And we actually see this in a couple of places. Actually, if you go to Genesis 15, you will see that God gave the Amorites centuries, over 400 years to respond to him. And they never responded. So you got a window of time. But I want you to understand this in that window of time. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not willing, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Even though we have this window of time, God is wanting every single man, woman, boy, and girl to come to faith in him. That's God's desire. Well, the second thing that we can learn from this tweetable message is that if nothing happens during that time, if there is no change, then there is a definitive doom and gloom that awaits. I understand that we live in a culture, they do not like the idea of judgment. They do not like the idea that there is a God that enacts wrath. And then maybe even some of you here this morning, you're like, I, I don't believe in a God of judgment. I don't, I don't believe in a God that pours out his wrath on those who do not follow him. Well, let, let me just say two things to you real quick. First of all, let me just give you what I would say is a rational or reasonable argument of Christian faith in God's judgment. I would say that every single one of us here and online, we have a faith. We have put our faith in something. And when it comes to faith, there are actually four elements to faith. And let me give them to you real quick. There's a worldview, there's an object of faith, then there is the mission or the goal of that faith, and then there's the ethics or behavior of that faith. When it comes to the Christian worldview faith, here's what our worldview is, and here's what our framework is. And, and many people have, have used this idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration to build out the framework of Christian faith. That there is a God who is perfect, who created everything perfectly, gloriously for his glory. Mankind, human beings who were created in his image, fell, they rebelled, they committed treason, thereby they have caused disorder and chaos in the world, and it is unraveling. 
And then there is redemption that God does not want to leave the world in its broken and damaged state. He is on mission to redeem and then one day fully restore. That is our Christian faith worldview. But then there's an object of faith and that object is King Jesus. King Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. Everything revolves around the glory of King Jesus. We listen to King Jesus. What does King Jesus say? Oh, then what is the mission? That's the third element. What's the mission? What, what is Jesus? What is King Jesus? What is God wanting to do in the world? And I would say that he's wanting to create a people for himself to glorify himself in all spheres of life, which then leads to the ethics. It's how we live, it's how we move, it's how we view sexuality, it's how we view relationships, it's how we view work, it's how we steward our resources. And so you say, Josh, why did you give us that? Because here's the thing about the Christian faith is that we serve a God who is holy and merciful and gracious, but at the same time a fully just And he has to punish evildoers. He has to punish rebels. He has to punish those who have committed treason against him. Could you imagine what our families would be if we let our kids do whatever they wanted to? Could you imagine what our society would be if we let anybody do whatever they want to? It would be anarchy. It would be chaos. It would be hell on earth. And that is the reason why God has to judge. He has to judge. And so I would say, look at all of the faiths that are out there. That is the reason why the Christian faith at the center has a God who is so merciful and gracious, but at the same time, he has to be a God who is just. He has to punish sin. The other argument I would make is basically a more practical wagering argument like Pascal made in the 17th century. If you don't believe in just justice, if you don't believe in wrath, just wait it out. Seriously. If you, if you think, all right, I don't believe in a God who is wrathful, that will punish evildoers, just sit and wait it out. We'll see then. And we'll see who's, why, who's right at the end. But the third thing that we learn from this tweetable message is that there is a glimmer of hope that if something does change, then there's at least a possibility for them to have their future rewritten. Oh, God wants to rewrite your future. If you are a faithful follower who just has had a stint of running away, he wants to rewrite your future just like he did Jonah's. If you are someone far from God, if you've never turned and put your faith and trust in Jesus, he wants to rewrite your future. And the future that he wants to rewrite is a glorious future. I mean, listen to some of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's this rewriting of the future of those who put their hope and trust in Christ. Well, that was the message. How did Nineveh respond? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Verse 5, we actually see how the Ninevites respond. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed 
and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. This is amazing. This is revival. This response is astounding. Is there anything that explains this astounding response? Well, I think there is. I think a couple things. Scholars actually point to a series of events that may have softened the hearts of the Assyrians. There was a plague in 765, revolts in 763 to 759, a solar eclipse in 763, and famine from 765 to 759. So God, think about it this way, some scholars believe that God was already at work there in Nineveh to soften the Assyrian's heart before Jonah showed up on the scene. We do realize that God is working ahead of us way before we get there. And could it be that the year 2020 and 2021, God is softening the hearts of people throughout the globe, but maybe even more specifically here in the U.S. from this thing called COVID. And what he has been doing in 2020 and 2021 is laying the groundwork for revival. So that's, that's one kind of explanation that some scholars give. The second one is this. And this is my favorite. Never underestimate the power of God's word. Never underestimate the power of God's word. We're living in a culture today where we want to hear from everybody else but the Lord. We want to hear from Tucker Carlson. What does he have to say? We want to hear from Don Lemon. What does he have to say? What does Beyonce have to say? What does Demi Lovato have to say? What does Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, what do they have to say? What does Tim Smith have to say? What does Marco Rubio have to say? What do celebrities like LeBron James, what do they have to say? And while that is well and good that you want to listen to other people, may we never be the people of God that forgets the most powerful word on the face of planet earth is God's word. We need God's word. It was his word that spoke creation into existence. It was his word that brought healing to the lame. It was his word that raised the dead to life. It's his word that mends relationships. It's his word that heals marriages. It's his word. And may we be people of the word. Now, I I, I don't want to gloss over this part, though. Because there was a way that Jonah, a Jew from the northern part of Israel, connected with Ninevites way over here who were Gentiles who spoke another language. So may we be people who always contextualize the message of God's word to put it in the heart language of the people that God wants us to reach. Now let's take a little deeper look at that repentant response of Nineveh. Now, we see at least nine elements of repentance, and I'm going to give them to us really quick. But we see these elements in verses 5 through 9. First of all, they believed God. Second, they proclaimed a fast, which expresses their complete dependence on God. They even made their animals fast. Could you imagine? Oh, Fido didn't get his meal. He didn't know why. (laughs) He was fasting. He just didn't know it. 
Everyone then put on sackcloth, which expressed their humility and position before God. They were poor in spirit. (laughs) They even made the animals put on sackcloth. Listen, I can't even put a sweater on Mater in the winter. Could you imagine? I mean, but they want to make sure everybody is covered there in Nineveh. They put on sackcloth, expressing their humility. And everyone did it from the least to the greatest, which expresses their equality. They're all on the same level playing field. Now, look at verse 6. See how the king responded. Now, the, the king responds this way. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. Just, just think about it, though. He dethroned himself. He got, off, he got off his throne. Listen, when you come to God, you get off your throne. See, when and Adam and Eve sinned, they actually said, God, we want to dethrone you. We want to enthrone ourselves. So when it comes to repenting, when it comes to changing your mind about God, you dethrone yourself so that you can enthrone God. Then he disrobed himself. He took off his royal robes, and then he put on sackcloth. Hey, listen, when, when you come to Jesus, you got to disrobe yourself. And you've got to put on the servant's attire. That you're there to serve Jesus. Jesus is the one that has the royal robes. Not you, not me. Then he degraded himself. He sat down in the dust. So he goes one step further. And he sits down in the dust in humble reverence and contriteness. And that's the posture of our life. And then he declared to others. Making sure that everyone has the, has the memo. We need to repent. He made sure that he declared it. So that's how, that's, how, that's how we respond. That's how we're to repent. And then in his proclamation in verses 7 through 9, we see two additional elements. Call urgently to God and give up their evil ways and their violence. Listen, listen to this principle. A recommitment of God's children becomes the catalyst for a citywide movement of revival. Church, if we want to see revival in our land, it begins with our recommitment and it begins with our repentance. Then revival can break out in Nineveh. Now look at what the king says in verse 9. Here's why he does everything that he does. Here's, here's what the king does in verse 9. We'll put it up on the screen. Who knows? God may yet what? Everybody say it. Relent. And with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I don't want you to miss this. Is the king understands that he cannot force God to do something for himself. The king realizes that. But he's at the mercy of God. Look at verse 10. Here's verse 10. Here's what verse 10 says. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, people, people get a little uneasy about God relenting. Josh, can you explain that? Yeah, let me explain it and then I'll be done. How many of you know what a speed trap is? Anybody know what a speed trap is? All right, I, I brought a picture with me. Here's a speed trap. I love this picture because it says, Family Pet Center, slow down, cop behind the sign. <laughs> He's there. Now, I, I've had police officers as friends before. And they, they've told me that they, in, in their mind there's a threshold. 
that if you go over a certain amount, I mean, they're ready to get you. They have a lot of grace. They have, uh, you know, a little bit of mercy, a window, right, or a span. I want you to imagine that you're the police officer, and you are there, and you're ready to catch speeders. And in your mind, you have the threshold. So let's say it's a 45-mile-an-hour speed zone. So if it's 56, 57, that's your threshold. If you see somebody, you know, speeding through at 56, 57 miles an hour, you're ready to go. Now imagine that you're the police officer. Every car that goes by that's 45 to 55, you, guess what, change your mind. You don't go after them. You change your mind. You relent. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready. Oh, I relent. They're not going. You see somebody going 56, 57, boom, turn on, you turn on the blue lights and you hightail it for them. So here's what God's doing. God, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to jail. He doesn't want anyone to spend eternity from him. He's ready to relent, but he has to catch the speeders. So any of those who are repentant, who are ready to change their mind and follow his ways, he doesn't go after as this God of justice and wrath, but he expresses his mercy and his grace. That's how God relents. So here's my question. Are you speaking as a believer? And do you need to repent are you speeding as a non-believer, someone far from God, and do you need to repent? Because when sinners repent, God relents. When sinners repent, God relents. Let's pray. Father, I pray. I pray, I pray, I pray that we would experience revival but we know revival begins with repentance. It begins with recommitment from the believer, from the people of God. And then it spills over to those who are far from you in repentance. So Father, I pray that we would recommit ourselves to you as a church. That whatever, whatever way we're going that is... In a guilty distance, that it's a runaway from you. May, may we change our mind. May we come back to you. I pray for those who are far from you this morning. May, may the Spirit of God in such grace and love poured into their heart. May you convict and may you draw people, men, women, boys and girls to you. If you're one of those that you are far from God, maybe you are listening online this morning. If you are far from God, here's how you repent. Say these words in the recesses of your heart. God, I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I'm running away from you. This morning I repent I confess my sin that I am a sinner. I have disobeyed you. I've lived my life without you, without you at the center, without you leading and guiding me. This morning, I change my mind. I repent. I confess you as Lord, as King, as Savior of my life. And I confess that I don't know a lot there. I don't know a lot that I probably should know or that I need to know. But here's what I do know is that I'm yours. Will you lead me, guide me? I give my life to you. 
If you did that this morning, you have repented and you have turned and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the object of your faith. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and ask God to lead us on, O King Eternal. people said? Amen. Wow. Um, hope you well. That's a tough message. It's a heavy message, but it's the Word. Amen? Amen? Well, let me end with this benediction, and I'm actually going to end with the first, the first verse of Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy, to be joyful. Be exuberant in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Church, you are sent out to trust and obey as we live on mission. You're sent.
Jesus, my heart is clean. 